Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. This is the sex work and discrimination episode with our guest, Nikki Gilliland. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Elle. Hi. So we met through some Oregon sex worker committee uh, last year, and we're still in contact. Uh, I've gotten to know you a little bit about your story, and we're going to talk here. Uh, If folks want to reach out for any uh, legitimate purpose, don't bug her. Her Twitter is at Nicole G underscore 801. So welcome here about Nikki. If you type into Google Vice plus be careful who you treat like shit, you should find an article. The rest of the title is a former porn star sues her school. So Nikki was discriminated against for working in porn like many years prior. And this was in a community college in Oregon. So I um, was in sex work and adult films when I was a teenager. Um, I 18, left, 19? Yeah. Um, okay. I started at sex work at 18. I got into the film industry at 19. And I retired right before I turned 21. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, it was actually, it was, it was a pretty cool experience for me. Um, you know, I had grown up in the system and was on my own by like 15. So it, it was the first time I really got to kind of travel. I got to travel the world. I got to do the red carpet. I got a party with rock stars. So when you're young and supposed to be experiencing life, I mean, it was the, it wasn't a bad way to go about it. And <laughs> to this day, which is when you hear what I've been up to since it's, it, it's shocking to people, but porn was probably one of the more professional jobs I've ever had. Um, you know, it's not what people think it is. It's, it's very organized. It's very regulated. It's very clean. Um, Regular testing. Yeah. And you, when you get to set, you have a big meeting beforehand, you have a ton of paperwork, you go over what it's going to look like, what you're not okay with. It's called your no list. So I don't want to be called names or I don't want this or this is okay. And you really organize the dynamic of the scene beforehand and it's very structured around what your comfort level is and obviously Hmm. so it's not it's not what people it's not this free for all it's are you able to mention who were you working for like what production companies or anyone i would recognize um i feel like i did uh, all the big ones (laughs) really yeah i i i got around (laughs) (laughs) see because i'm like i can't believe i never saw you i've sold like thousands of dvds and even some vhs so maybe uh, you did i I actually don't look at all the same um i'll 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 text you yes yes oh please do okay off air oh i'd love that i'd be honored my first actually my first time ever having sex with woman was nina hartley so i'm like oh my goodness yeah that was my like she was so patient wow oh wow i think most of my audience knows who nina hartley is but if you don't go look her up wow nina hartley okay so you were experienced, you traveled, and you had a good overall working experience, it sounds like? Yeah. I mean, I was young and dumb and had a lot of um, smoothing out my demons to do yet. But mm-hmm. um, overall, yeah, I th- thought it was a really great worldly experience, which I think is key in being well-rounded, is being worldly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I had a lot of fun too, but it when it no longer served me... And I really wanted to find what what did. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I landed on medicine. And so I left mm. um, the adult film industry to become a, an EMT and, mm. and I loved it. Oh my, I hid obviously like, not obviously, cause you shouldn't have to do this, but I hid my past. Um, especially once I got to paramedic school, um, the difference between an EMT and a paramedic is kind of like a CNA versus a nurse. So okay. paramedics, like, you know, a two year degree versus a six month, you know, trade school. Okay. And so when I got to paramedic school, which is, you know, the hardcore of emergency medicine, I read about a former porn star on the East coast, um, that was trying to become an EMT and it was so controversial. <laughs> and oh it my was God. Such a, it was such a big deal in the comment section was like, um, I wonder how much she's going to charge for mouth to mouth. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Oh my <laughs> God. And I'm just like, okay. Yeah. Like I, and this is what I mean. I was naive because I, I thought porn's legal and you know, it was an agent that reached out to me from like MySpace and <laughs> MySpace. Me, I know. wanted me to come shoot like a magazine. And so it was just like, it started as like an adult magazine. And so it just didn't seem like that big of a deal to me. I mean, mm -hmm. and plus like when you're, you know, on your own at such a young age and never really had any support, like the idea of being able to take care of yourself mm -hmm. and not wonder where you're going to have heat or food. Like that's, that's obviously kind of appealing. I just didn't think it was that big of a deal. Right. I wasn't hurting anyone. And you can debate me on that all you want. I wasn't. And so it just, I just didn't think it was a big deal. Right. So, <laughs> <I was wrong. laughs> so you became an EMT. Yes. And a paramedic. And, and a paramedic. I ended up, I'm a mom. I have two daughters, uh, married, and divorced. Saved thousands of lives. Uh, over uh, almost a decade. Yes. Like I uh, contributed to the process for sure. Um, there's been like other instances where I just really felt like, I thought most people were good. <laughs> I thought that people are inherently good and people will do the right thing when the moment comes down to it. Like I've, I've stopped an active shooting. I've done weird things that I really didn't think about at the time. And then later I'm like, what the fuck did I just do? Amazing. <laughs> but I thought, okay, you're a good person. Like you haven't, you don't lie, cheat or steal. Like you're not, mm -hmm. you're not. And I think that's so arbitrary anyway, good, and bad and you didn't anticipate the discrimination that happened in college after this I think well it's been hearing. a decade like i said so i right. just meant i right. felt like what I, I all the things i just pointed out were like checks in my box like that mm -hmm. i'm pretty safe now not that i was willing to really discuss my past but i figured if it ever did come up it wouldn't really be a big deal at that point so fast forward to my divorce and um paramedics just not cohesive to being a single mom because mm. the hours like usually the shifts are 24 48 even 72 hours and wow. daycares don't work like that so oh wow i i needed to switch career paths so that i could still be in medicine but not have the issues with childcare. and so i decided to go into nursing and and nurses are great and nursing is great you, you know paramedics actually do a lot more like medical interventions than nurses are able to do because they're out in the field. So innovation and, and IOs and things like that, you don't mm -hmm. 
nurses don't do EKG reading is more of a doctor paramedic thing. So I actually had a really good time in nursing school. Like, obviously, I was learning a lot new, more new things. But I also was able to take my almost decade of experience and really excel in nursing school. So I made the dean's list. I was receiving excellent grades and feedback on my patient care. Like I was, I was good to go. Like mm-hmm. I had, I, I felt very safe that this was going to be my future. And then what happened? <laughs> my teachers found out um, that I had been a porn star. And this one specific teacher, her name's Melissa Sperry. She's still teaching, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, she, and she had a really bad history of, um, bullying and tormenting students and getting away with it. And for, wow. for ways that are actually like illegal, like age, <laughs> like that's a protected class, but she would pick on older students. Um, huh. the national origin, <laughs> she, if you were from a different country, good luck with her. Lord. Um, so she really, yeah, no, it, I mean, it's, wow. it's really appalling that she was ever allowed to be around students. By the time I entered the program, she shouldn't have been there. Wow. Um, but she was my advisor on top of my teacher. And I, I felt like regardless of her reputation, we had a really good working relationship right. until we didn't. And so she had been made aware of my past and, um, she started by giving me fake assignments, like a, a, an assignment that was really big that no one else was working on <sighs> out of the blue. And then luckily, so much of this is over email, so it wasn't really debatable. Wow. Um, yeah. Thank, thankfully for me now. Wow. Anyways, fake assignments um, tried to have me expelled for plagiarism when I hadn't done anything wrong in comparison to absolutely every single person in the program and the teachers. So they tried to just like single me out uh, to have me expelled for plagiarism. But I was able to show that if you're expelling me, you're not going to have a program because every person, including every teacher has done what you're singling me out for. Hmm. Um, wow. It's a normal thing that we do in the program, this type of um, care planning and the things. Mm-hmm. And so for you to decide that I'm guilty of something that everyone else is guilty for is discrimination. So this was Um, in Southwestern Oregon Community College uh, in Coos Bay. Yeah. Yeah. So a definitely conservative area. Uh, There's like what 16, 17, 18. This article says 16,000 people there. I just drove through Coos Bay like two days ago and I'm like, there's a Trump flag. There's a Confederate flag. So I don't think it's very conservative. Like I think that that's a diss to conservatives. Like, <laughs> so like bigot, like like very bigoted. Uh, yeah, well, it makes sense why she would be able to continue as a teacher in a place like this where if she's a bigot, then, you know, making fun of immigrants or even, you know, something that seems more tame, like ageism, still really harmful behaviors. But I could see how no one would really think it's a big deal in Coos Bay with the, uh, with the nationalism. Or the racism thing. Um, well, actually, yeah, that's it's, it's interesting that Coos Bay is even allowed to basically exist in the state that it's in because, in just like I think the last five years, there's been so many national, worldwide cases coming out of Coos Bay for this type of behavior. Um, gay students at the high school were, I believe, forced to read from the Bible, and the mm. principal told them something like, "You're going to hell." And this is at a public high school, mm. and the ACLU had to come and have a big case. Oh. Um, 
man. There was a, you know, a young black girl that was um, sentenced to, to jail for over a decade for attempted murder when she did nothing. <laughs> Just <clears throat> uh, really, really world famous cases. Um, Soraya Reese is her name. Like it's, I was it's wondering. interesting reading if you want to look is into she it. out now. She is good. because of the, the global pushback. Wow, but, good. I mean, hey, media can do good things. Yeah. Well, the, that's what I mean. It's like at some point, I think um, they have this stronghold, like this um, good old boys stronghold, and it's their town and they're going to do what they want. But what they're doing is illegal and what they're doing is wrong. So at a certain point, they're costing the state so much money in lawsuits. And mm. uh, like my case alone is so expensive and it's costing the taxpayers of Oregon. So you're paying if you live in Oregon to support this behavior. So Coos Bay really needs a, a serious restructuring Jesus. because if you can't obey the law, then you can't be a community like you can't. So, okay. So it had been like a full decade since you'd been out of the porn industry um, when this started happening. And so it escalated to, I mean, we are going to move on in, you know, a minute, but so basically it escalated to where this impacted custody of your children, I believe. Uh, yeah. So it got, it got so bad at school. It went on for months. Um, nobody was stopping the behavior. People were joining Melissa, the program director and other teachers. In harassing um, you? She, oh yeah. Oh, God. Uh, it got to the point where no one was allowed to speak to me. What? Like no other students were allowed to speak to me. I wasn't allowed to be taught. I couldn't raise my hand in class. Oh um, my God. They were going into the system and we actually have proven this in discovery of my lawsuit. They were going into the grading system and changing good grades to bad grades. Mm. Like I wasn't even, I had no chance. Wow. No matter what I did, Fuck. they were not going to let me be a nurse. My skin and is crying. Yeah. And when I said, why are you doing this? Um, Melissa said, well, it takes a classy woman to be a nurse and unclassy women kind of pointing to me shouldn't be nurses. So she basically said, we're not letting this whore be a nurse. <laughs> wow. You should get whore nurse as a tattoo. That's what I would do. Um, I want to get unclassy woman tattoo. Yes. Actually. Oh my God. I love that. Okay. <laughs> I know. I'm totally going to do it. So yes, um, it, I don't want to get too into yeah, details. But it, it's it escalated. To about, but yeah. The, um, it escalated to the point and at this there was just all around, I was having a, a difficult time and I had no one in my corner. And I got to the point where I was completely blinded um, by, by my potential or by who I really am and believed that I was worthless and believed that, that my daughters were going to be so screwed <sighs> with me as their mom that I'm never going to be able to build a good life for them. No matter how hard I work, it could be a decade. I could have done all these, right. these great things. and someone can just take it away. And so my daughters, what kind of life could I give them? So, well, it led to me trying to take my life because I believed that I was doing a service to my daughters by removing myself from the equation. Mm -hmm. Oh man, and <laughs> I'm in tears. I know, I know. And it was, it was the most blinded I've ever been. And so the state stepped in, uh, well, We'll say we'll we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and pretend that they didn't do this for nefarious reasons, but and took took my daughters away. Um, they the claims by this social worker um, were that I'm crazy, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the social worker who is SWAC alumni and friends with many mm-hmm. the people that were psychologically tormenting you and failing you. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because her, her own office, the social worker's office was on SWAC campus for many, many years. Oh, so God. the ties to, to the defendants are endless, but right. she stepped in, took my kids, uh, said that I was crazy, bipolar, a drug addict, um, an alcoholic, a manipulator, a liar, basically everything that Mm -hmm. would need to be true to escape legal liability for what they had been doing to me. It's, and even if that's wasn't the actual plan and it's just a coincidence, that's how it panned out. So my daughters were gone for nine months. Well, I volunteered for everything under the moon, like Mm. uh, drug and alcohol treatment to prove I didn't have any addiction issues, a nine hour psych evaluation with a top forensic psychologist in the state Mm. um, to show that I'm stable um, and don't have like, thankfully uh, any mental deficits because even if it didn't affect me, like what if I did have an yeah, anxiety absolutely. disorder? Absolutely. Like, yeah. So many people like too, 40% like, of us. Back. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like I do now. Right. No <laughs> shit. I do after all this shit. But yeah. Half the shit you um, named earlier about being like a druggie and like um, alcoholic. I was like thinking like, well, damn, that doesn't still make you a bad parent. But like, yeah, I get I it. I know. Exactly. Totally. No, ex- but totally. that's the gaslighting of yeah. the system. Mm-hmm. Like, like just to skip ahead just for a second, I'm in law school now and that's my biggest hang up is um, this, this idea that people can cast their noses down when, when they are, these people on the upper levels are doing the exact same shit as the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And they just get away with it because that's the way our system is designed. Yeah. Anyways, but that's the gaslighting mm-hmm. of the system and especially a family courts and especially to sex workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's horrible mm-hmm. out there for parents who, who have a history in sex work and the, Anyways, they they tried to paint me in, in all sorts of lights that wouldn't even mean I'm a bad mom. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I was able to disprove every claim wow. that they were making and eventually regain custody of my children when they had no other choice. But I mean, it came at such great expense and that's going to be my regret for the rest of my life is, you know, my youngest daughter, especially she was placed in an abusive situation um, she had to be removed from. And, you know, she ha- she can't to this day speak right, like, or correctly. She's She's been diagnosed with such severe trauma that, like, it's about addressing that before she can even learn to learn or learn to function oh because God. of what she went through. And uh, so these type of so-called save-a-hoe in- interventions that, that, people don't understand what they're doing when they think they're saving children and they're, they're destroying them. And, you know, the most traumatic thing a child can go through is being removed from their primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that in itself, but then you add abuse um, Mm -hmm. and what she suffered through and neglect and, you know, food insecurity and everything that they were doing to her um, that, you know, even the state who really wanted to make this placement work because they needed it to work for me to be in the hot seat. Even they had to go, Oh crap, we, we don't have a choice. We have to intervene and take this little girl away from the situation. It was, I mean, I'm talking to people in Oregon right now. So it's like, I don't think there's a single Oregon resident that doesn't understand how screwed up the DHS system in Oregon is. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not a very well-kept secret Mm -hmm. at all. Um, so that's another thing that really needs to be overhauled in Oregon is 
is the DHS corruption and disgustingness that's going on there for sure. So I want to bring it back. We're about to take a break and do some listener questions. Um, later, uh, I'd like to, if we could talk a little bit about the legal sex work you did in Utah, of all places. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I want to ask before we take a break, um, how much of your suicide attempt do you believe was because of the treatment, the abuse, discrimination you'd been receiving? Um, I, I have to be completely honest and say there's a little bit of a divide. Mm-hmm. Um, my ex-husband was uh, in the picture mm-hmm. and he he's a very violent person. Okay. Um, so, well, normally he, he could be persuaded into being decent mm-hmm. if you you kind of have to like mold yourself and be like his mom and like kind of mm. make sure ev- make sure everything's okay for the little guy mm-hmm. otherwise he'll throw a tantrum gotcha. and so well i'm getting so when all this started at swak and i'm obviously being put through the ringer i couldn't be that for him and right. so it, you needed it, support right no that was that's not a thing that he could ever do and mm. so well i'm going through this at school i'm getting pushed around a, at home too and so there was a And I did, I said this in my deposition. It's like, it's hard when you're getting beat up at home and this shit's going on at school and this is your exit strategy. So keep that in mind. Like I'm going to nursing school to make sure I can be out of this situation for good and be a single parent. That's why I chose this path. Mm -hmm. And you're taking that exit strategy away from me as I'm being abused. So it, it was a combination of no way out and no path forward because of what these women were doing. Mm-hmm. So well, it was mostly definitely the fact that they took my exit strategy. So I'm going to make sure that as many social work students um, and social workers I know can hear this episode, because I think people are learning a lot right now about what this can look like in real life and not just on paper. You can tweet at Nikki Gilliland, Nicole G underscore eight zero one. And I am your host, L Stanger. This is the sex work and discrimination episode. Leave us a good rating or review on your listening platform, please. And you can check out my website at lstanger.com. Hey, if you have a sensitive vulva, don't be ashamed. So do I. I love using the salve by Momotaro Apotheca. That's M-O-M-O-T-A-R-O, apotheca.com. Check out their sister company, Oshihana com for some CBD related products. And I'm not the only one. I asked folks what they thought. Someone says, I love the salve for everything after shaving, after sex, if I feel a little off down there after anal. Someone else says the salve is a personal favorite. I'm currently pregnant and use it for perennial massage. So that's great to hear. Use code stripperwriter. Hey, that's me on momotaroapotheca.com or oshihana.com. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast with our guest, Nikki Gilliland. She has a historic Title IX discrimination case uh, happening right now. Who is the defendant in this? So it is Southwestern Oregon Community College. Okay. The college itself. Okay. Um, So let's talk a little bit more positive stuff. Uh, You did a... Okay. First of all, you said your first scene or video was with Nina Hartley. Did I hear that correctly? 
My first female senior. Okay. So that's amazing. Um, what other types of sex work did you do? Um, all of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, well, no, I mean, I don't want to say all of it. Um, a lot of it. So, I know. Right? Yeah, there's so, I mean, as far as the broader categories, because I was an adult film, so I did feature dancing. So mm. that's something um, that porn stars do is go to strip clubs and do that kind of thing every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, You're touring. I just don't have the moves. I don't have the moves you have. <laughs> I do not. I don't look good on that stage. I want to see. Well, that's okay because you don't have to anymore. I want to see the old porn pics, though, for sure. When we're not, when we're not here. (laughs) For some reason, the sprinkler and the lawnmower just aren't sexy. (laughs) You know, it only takes one, just one thing that it is. Um, You said you you did escorting in Utah. Yeah. So in Utah, it is legal to be an escort. It's prostitution's not legal. That's illegal, but. Escorting is legal if you get licensed through the police department and you do the fingerprints and you do the test. It is it is interesting. And once you get into it, and I also like managed an escort agency there, it's once you get into it, you see why it is the way it is, um, because Utah is the Mormon church and Mormons get married at like 19. And yeah. they they don't um they don't promote anything sexual mm-hmm. related, mm-hmm. but they also know that they're men and they also know that they're men. So <laughs> they, they, they make sure that there's a way for them to access what they want. Sex workers, even though they vilify them the next day. What County uh, was this in, in Utah? Salt Lake. Jesus. I, how have I never heard of this before? Oh my God. Well, it's like it's it's very much like Gilead in that sense. It's like you know, in the Handmaid's Tale, even Gilead had sex workers. True. So it's like that. True. And the the clients are people in the government and people really high up in the church, and that's who who the clients are. Um, so it is interesting when you really get into the hypocrisy of it all. And then, of course, they are the victims because satan made them do it right <laughs> so right and you know and i've read how a lot of times people like to blame sex workers for spreading stis but it tends to be that it's actually the male clients that are doing it um more often and this is like i'm talking about a couple of centuries of <laughs> like historians being like actually it was probably the soldiers that were like the ones that were spreading it around and bringing it back home to their wives because sex workers it's in our better interest to protect our working instruments so like you want to use condoms and barriers and stuff anyway, but I could totally see like someone high up in the church or like, you know, a policeman being like, Oh, I got chlamydia because of this dirty whore. And it's like, you know, and that's, that is the misconception that I hate more than anything. And I won't admit to like, you know, uh, breaking the confines of my license in in Utah, but (laughs) I will say overall, even as a porn star, um, there's that that idea. Like I remember one time I had like a childhood guy friend who was talking to me about me and my sister. He'd grown up around both of us. And he's like, you know, if I had to pick one of you to date, I would pick you. You know, you're you're cool, but Amber's probably cleaner because she wasn't in porn. And I'm just like, Are you kidding me? But Amber Do you think that oh my God. Do you think like the Tinder person is somehow cleaner than a sex worker? Like <laughs> Oh my gosh. No. Um, you get tested all the time. You're by law. And uh, Uh, obviously there is a huge interest. Do you see like a paramedic not wear gloves? Like, no. Yeah. (laughs) No, we're we're more careful and clean than anyone. Like I would definitely choose uh, a sex worker over 
someone on a dating app <laughs> if, I were, if I were concerned about STIs. Absolutely. Sure. It's, it's such a misconception. It's such bullshit. Right. I'm not saying that there aren't people with STIs, uh, plenty of people, you know, right. yeah, exactly. And there's nothing wrong. And that's where I have to mention there's no, the word clean that we're using is like really a loaded term that I try to avoid as, a, you know, a sex educator. That's totally fair. Yeah, yes. totally. And it's just like, you know, that's not something that you and I were about the same age, I think were like raised to know and, and believe and say. So, so that's a good one to remember. And then also, even if you have STIs, like it happens, I, you know, we get them. But uh, yeah, the care and feeding of your gen- genitals, I think, is more often properly done by people who have a vested interest in protecting them. The gloves analogy is a great one. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like I want a, a disclaimer when I'm talking about these things and I'm talking about what's been said to me mm-hmm. the last, especially the last few years and what I've had, the stigmas and the bigotry I've had to overcome, not the stigmas and bigotry I have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much the opposite. Like I don't... Um, like I was saying about like the mental health examination, I am so fortunate that they couldn't gaslight me with that, but Mm -hmm. there's absolutely nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with having PTSD or bipolar or any, any sort of, um, I think it adds character. I definitely definitely have PTSD now, but (laughs) yeah, I've definitely said before, I'm like, you know, you can tell those people that have just never really struggled in their life. They don't really have like as interesting a personality. (laughs) Uh, no, absolutely. It's a privilege. Like I, I'm not going to get into too much about law school, but it, I definitely don't feel uh, the only time I feel very comfortable, especially after the last couple of years, I don't like to leave my house. I'm very terrified of people. Um, I don't think that people are inherently good anymore. I've mm-hmm. lost a lot of, of my, my faith, um, in, in everything actually, um, mm-hmm. in, and people in the system and government and laws and mm-hmm. the way everything works is, it's been severely damaged. The only time I feel comfortable or safe or happy is when I'm, I'm with sex workers or when I'm talking to sex workers. Really? Um, really it, it's my home, it's my people. And I just don't, no one else could possibly understand except people who, yeah, who understand. And so yeah. it's hard when you're around so much privilege and there is such a lack of character, it's just, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, there's such a lack of empathy. There's such a lack of understanding or compassion. And I used to think everyone had that. And now I don't think that anymore. What a tough road to travel. Um, You're such a warrior of a human. And uh, I think a lot of people are feeling pretty inspired right now. And I've never said that word in reference to a person on this podcast, I believe. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for being I here. I feel like a hot mess, like a hot dumpster fire of a person. I feel actually. like a cold mess sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's do some listener questions. Okay. So listener question one, I started in OnlyFans when pandemic started. By that, I, I assume they mean an adult entertainment triple x only fans and kept it up because it was the only income i could make so now there's more content potentially out in the world than i had planned on at the time when they started it at that time i was scrambling to cover expenses and to not dip into my savings so i hadn't thought about future things like being a parent but now i'm wondering how i will explain it to potential future kids do you have any advice um I've written articles on this. So um, just go to like, okay, first, okay. My quick answer, 
go to my website, lstanger.com, type in the little search box, parenting. There's like three articles about how I personally explain my sex work. But yes, Nikki, I want to hear from you. And I can only speak for myself. Like I can Certainly. only, mm-hmm. I, I'm not like someone like Elle or other, what I would call figureheads in this movement. I am very much a student, um, just making sense of my own experiences at this point. So I can't mm-hmm. speak from a place of, of someone who, who does this every day for years and years. I'm, I am now that person, but it's going to take a long time to educate myself and on a lot. (laughs) So speaking for myself, uh, that fear is, is what hurt me and my children, not, not anything since, um, owning it and even being proud, uh, has dramatically changed our lives. And my, my daughters are still too young to understand because it's of course age appropriate, Certainly, but they do know that, that they see their mom doing a lot, uh, a lot of, you know, advocacy, a lot with law school, a lot with this upcoming trial. So they, they do know big things are happening. And I, I really feel that like they're going to appreciate that. And I feel like whether it's only fans or any other form of sex work, um, there's just, there's something to be said about being proud of uh, being proud of it. And you don't, and not letting fear and stigma dictate anything because that's what's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. I love that. There's a book called How Mamas Love Their Babies by Juniper Fitzgerald and Elise Peterson. Um, and it it's like, it's for very small children and like without any sensationalist, sensationalism behind it, it's it's like, mommies do things like wash the floors, dance at the club, make food for people, you know, (laughs) really cute. I recommend it. I get that actually. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'll I'll send you a picture. Um, Brings me to the next one. I kind of think this was already answered in you telling the nightmare of what you went through earlier. Um, Listener question two, in your experiences, Nikki, who did you receive support from during your discrimination? Was it faculty, friends? If so, what did that look like? I had none in Coos Bay. Um, there were two classmates that that stood up, three classmates that stood up for me, but had to do so very carefully because it was such a intensive bullying environment. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we're willing to speak up behind the scenes or write letters or things like that. And that to this day means everything. Like these, these three women, like I... I'll never forget because they didn't have to be brave and certainly no one else was. I had gone from being friends with the whole class to being shunned by the whole class just because I was being targeted. And so for them to, to be brave enough to, to stay by my side, even to this day, um, you know, behind the scenes uh, and even not so much behind the scenes is everything, but overall, especially once I was no longer in the program and I had been run out officially, um, I had nobody, like I had no friends, the whole town, hated me. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Like the, they circled their wagons so much around the college. SWAC was the biggest employer, I believe in the whole region. So uh, the most powerful entity, maybe a hundred miles in any direction. And as far as they were concerned, I was this troublemaking whore picking on their upstanding school. And so, mm. um, yeah, I, I mean, I was, God damn. Put through, put through the ringer. I had people actually spit at me. Uh, it's just complete strangers. I, I, oh my God. There was like people visibly shaking and screaming at me if I'd go out into public. Uh, just, I was not 
a liked person and I wasn't, I didn't do anything. <laughs> like, it's oh my just, God. No wonder you have an anxiety disorder now, you said. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's rough. It's rough. I would seriously never leave my house if it weren't for the fact I still have to create a life for my daughters. And it's going to mm. be one that people can't take away again. And yeah, so it, it helps you don't live in Oregon anymore, I imagine. Oh, God. Yes. I mean, there's <laughs> still, like Portland's cool and there's areas of Oregon that are just fantastic, but. We've I mean, really got to address this alt-right problem in these wooded areas because thank it's, you. it's not what people think it is. People think Oregon's super progressive and thanks to these certain populous areas it is. But boy, when you get outside of those, you need to be very careful because these people, yeah. they're just venom and hate. Like I've never yeah. seen any like there. And it's funny going through this case now because like my attorney is actually from Salt Lake. He's he's licensed in Oregon, but. He mm-hmm. thinks he's dealing with rational people and he forgets and like, <laughs> and yep. so it's like, oh, like we're thinking rationally and like lawyers and approaching mediation and things like that. And they just use everything as an opportunity to be insulting and gross and awful. And so it's like, Jesus Christ. This is what I was talking about. So Wow. Okay. So this brings me to listener question three. Do you anticipate, and again, these are written to you. I asked folks to write to a sex worker that had experienced uh, discrimination in their work slash um, education space. Uh, do you anticipate more stigma issues if your previous adult work comes up again? Will you know how to navigate it differently? Um, well, this actually ties back into question two. I didn't get to the the heroes in the equation, which are sex workers. Mm. Um, when I was talking to a friend up in Portland, when all of this was going on, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to keep surviving. There's, I have no one, no one to talk to, no one to lean on. And she's like, well, why don't you call sex worker advocates? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like mm. I, when I was back in films, I hadn't this, I hadn't heard about, you know, the advocacy happening or how profound it is now. So I contacted sex workers outreach project um, and spoke with uh, Alex Andrews and it went mm. from having nobody to having a family overnight. Um, mm. I got to fly out to the Woodhull Freedom Foundation Summit and and meet so many incredible people who have dealt with way worse than I have. And they mm. teach me all the time to how to navigate it and how to be strong. And so that's my approach now. And I'm not at all worried about stigma. Like I will Good. take, take that and I will find a way to shove it up your ass because I, I love I that. Like, like I'm not, I'm not ever going to let anyone do what these people did again. And if you want to, you want to try it and find out, then by all means, give it your best go. But I definitely don't have that fear. Thankfully I don't really have to since I've owned it. Like, and since I've, gotten into advocacy work and things like that. It's, it's more of a strength than a weakness. And of course, mm-hmm. like it's a little bit of a spectacle situation, but like my law school, the faculty has been incredible. Um, we got to do a sex work and stigma panel. Um, and, you know, I got to bring my mentors in to talk to all the students about, uh, you know, what, what the realities are and, and how dangerous stigma is. And it was it won best panel of the year. So Whoa. that was yeah, it was really cool. Like um the Legal Association of Women is are the ones who put it all together and just just it was incredible. And they, it was so well received by everyone. And so I actually don't struggle in that department at all. Like people want Damn. to do better. They do. Like people want to learn 
the, the realities now. Good. Yeah. Alex Andrews has been a huge help and Woodhull Freedom Foundation was, is the fiscal sponsor to the committee that I'm a co-chair and president of, which is Oregon Sex Workers Committee. Fiscal sponsor means that before we were a 501c3 formally, they offered to host the bank account so that we could receive donations, large donations that would be tax deductible to people. And um, yeah, so both great people, organization, I'm so glad you found them. Oh my gosh. Um, let's do this Game one real changer. quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some listener question for? What are some gentle ways to inform colleagues that they are being horophobic? I want to appear as an ally, but I'm too personally upset when I hear them making derogatory statements. It's interesting. I don't do very well with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. It's really hard for me too. So I'll just, you know, honestly. I try to, the best thing I try to do is like neutralize it, but still speak a truth. So like the other day, someone, it's a dear friend of mine, actually, and I'm gonna have to have this conversation again. Um, but like in a different way, but they said something about, oh, so and so is pissing me off. She did X, Y, and Z. She's being a stupid fucking whore. And I cringed because this person's a civilian and like, you know, they, they want to be, they consider themselves an ally. But when you say stuff like that, it's like, um, so I said in that moment, because someone else was also in the room, I said, I said, well, there's nothing wrong with being a whore. And um, they're like, well, you know what I mean? I'm like, no, what other word could we use? Because <laughs> um, it is triggering for me, too. It's like you never sucked a dick for money. You've never seen a police car outside a hotel and wondered if it was for you. Like, come on, let's not use whore when you mean something else. Exactly. Um, so the best advice. Yeah. Best advice I could give is just just like very gently be like, is that the word we want to use or something? You know, you don't need to like you're being problematic and I'm here to educate you. Like, don't be that person. Please don't be that person. That's insufferable. Um, it's tough. But anyway, thanks for trying to the person who asked and for everyone listening. Thank you again for finding me, lstanger.com. And you can also see some of our affiliates, friends, and sponsors and recommended products on theytalksex.com. Hey, are you going somewhere and you don't want to ruin Airbnb sheets or hotel bedding or one night stands or clients furniture? If you're on your period, if you're a squirter, if you have a healing tattoo, or if you're just trying to be polite, it's more than a sex blanket. Getthelayer.com. It's black. It's discreet. You can get 10% off when you use the code L on getthelair.com. This is great for cam girls, for people traveling, for people dealing with colostomy bags, for people that just don't want to sleep in the wet spot. Getthelair.com. Code L. Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. This is the sex work and discrimination episode. So I'm looking at, it's on Swap USA, swopusa.org, uh, the fact sheet on minority stress and sex work, understanding stress and internalized stigma, um, published at the top, it says Katie Bloomquist, Swap USA Board of Directors. So a sexual minority is defined as an individual whose sexual identity, orientation, or practices differ from the majority of the surrounding society. This is quoted from Meyer 2003. That might, that definition might change someday, but um, minority stress theory proposes that sexual minority health disparities, like why are 
people in minorities or marginalized groups, less healthy, have worse outcomes, more cancer, die sooner, can be explained in large part by stressors induced by hostile um, or homophobic culture. So gay folks, for example, uh, this could result in a lifetime of harassment, maltreatment, discrimination, and victimization, and may ultimately impact access to care. So this relates to race, um, gender, poor people, we're seeing the minority stress perspective now be applied to things like horophobia that you experienced um, and how ultimately like unwell that made you contributing to, I mean, being suicidal, for example. Right. No, the, um, the stress. Yeah. yeah. It's, but I, that's such an important point though, is that it can be applied to the horophobia of course and should, but I am definitely, you know, I, I have such advantage too. I know Alex Andrews once said that it's a, it's a good thing. I at least have my white privilege and I was living in a woodshed at the time. Um, you know, I went through a lot of homelessness, got everything taken from me, not just my children, but everything throughout this process and really had to build up from a actual woodshed and like living in, in a plywood shed. And so I at the time I was living in a woodshed and I'm like, like, I don't know, I don't feel very privileged right now, but you know, uh, throughout this experience and, and especially getting to meet such incredible survivors and, and lawyers and hear such intense stories, like it's really made me check my privilege. And I am so glad that I could at least use the fact that I'm, you know, a white cis straight woman to, mm-hmm. to because it's not that what happened to me wasn't bad. It's just that if I had been LGBTQ plus or a person of color, it would have been worse. That's just, it's mm-hmm. facts. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's as fact mm-hmm. as it gets. It only gets worse from, from like, if my story sounds bad and if it's appalling, it only gets worse from there. So that's what I want. Like mm-hmm. the biggest takeaway to be is like, if you, if this is shocking your senses, just hold on because it's, right. that's, this is the nice version of what happens to sex workers. And I wonder what would have happened at all. We'll never know if you had been a man who'd been in porn, you know, and then you, <laughs> teach her, like, you know, for real. Yeah. The gender disparity can be huge. Um, okay. So you mentioned something about, and this relates to stress too. So when you worked as a legal at licensed escort licensed by the police in Utah, you said that, was it stings or raids or they'd well, come banging on the door? So that at the time, I don't know what it, the structure is like now. I, I haven't seen much, to indicate much change, but they had like a full time whole vice squad just for sex workers. And so the licensing is really just like a leash um, to to the individuals um, and what these guys do and what they get away with is insane. So when they set up these things, I mean, they get naked, they party, they do all sorts of crazy things and try to get you to slip up in any way, shape or form. And you get really Jesus. good at not, and it's even saying like massage. Like if you say massage, like, would you like a back massage? They'll bust you because if you're not a licensed. Oh my God. Yeah, if you're not a licensed massage therapist, you, you have to say rub, not massage. And they measure mm-hmm. like your underwear back in the day. And they had to be like a certain width and there had to be like a nudity notice 24 hours prior. So they just really try to make it so that they can have access to sex workers, but also terrorize sex workers. And so these guys, even if you didn't solicit, and even if you did perfectly in the sting operation, they'll bust down the door and come in like 
10 guns at your head just to check your license and make sure it isn't expired. So it's a lot of trauma, just, just doing everything that's legal. But, and then of course, if, if you go to court, like we would have these, these biannual meetings with attorneys um, at my agency to explain all of this. But if you went to court, the prosecutor time, he had a no deal policy just for sex workers. So murderers, child molesters, wow. any, anybody else he would make a deal with. But sex workers, it was either go to trial or plead guilty. Those were your options. And of course, at trial, they don't have to show any tape or anything because they don't want you, the jury to see what the cops are doing and what. what. Oh, my God. And so, like, I even read an article in the Salt Lake Tribune, I think it was, or something a couple like a year back where they busted a massage parlor uh, after a two year intense investigation and it only gave out one solicitation charge, which is a class B misdemeanor. So it's funny. Oh that it's like, so how, how many hand jobs did the taxpayers pay for in that two year period? Right. <laughs> like, oh my and, God. Hand jobs for cops. You know, and that's what you're paying for. So like, if you think oh that these God. vice teams are, are doing a public service, no, they're getting serviced. Just, let's just be clear. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, absolutely fascinating and terrifying. And there's so much going on than we could even begin to imagine. And I just love peeling back layers with fascinating and uh, amazing guests like you. Holy crap. Um, so your Title IX case is historic because it's the first one where they upheld that your sex work counted as a type of sexual identity. Well, okay, so... I didn't know when I sued SWAC anything about the law and I didn't know. I just, I'm like, you, you can't do this. <laughs> I was so yeah. such a care. And I'm just like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> so <laughs> I filed, dare you? filed this lawsuit and I didn't realize I was the first person to use title nine in this way. So title nine is our federal um, discrimination uh, against like gender discrimination in education setting. It covers sexual assault. It started with female sports and then it's just been expanded since the seventies. But I'm the first mm. person to to say slut shaming, um, and it's interesting wow. because um, gender stereotyping, like how someone should be based on their gender role, um, mm-hmm. is covered under Title IX. And so what happened was once we got through discovery, the defendant Swock moved for summary judgment. So summary judgment is when you say that a case shouldn't be allowed to proceed to a jury because there there's no law to support the facts. Mm-hmm. And because they, they said this is because it's never been done, it shouldn't be allowed to be done. And mm-hmm. uh, Judge Kasubai with the federal court and Eugene said, based on the facts of this case, uh, a reasonable jury could could find that, that this is gender stereotyping, like that mm-hmm. slut shaming is gender stereotyping, which we all know it is because it doesn't apply mm-hmm. equally to mm-hmm. men and women. And so mm-hmm. um, this is the first ruling of its kind, uh, first time Damn. the courts ever acknowledged that that slut shaming or discrimination against sex workers is gender discrimination, and so now the case gets to proceed to the jury, and two months from now, so it's hmm. nerve wracking. I've been at this for four years, but it's finally coming to to the trial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I can be there in Eugene in June, I will be, and I'm going to try my darndest. 
already talked to ex-husband number two about extra child care so I can go down there. So this is important to me. And I'm so glad that I got to meet you and that you were willing to share this story because it's just fucking mind blowing what you went through and what people are capable of and what still is happening, you know, in our world. Yeah, um, I, I really hope that um, I know I'm not. I definitely don't think I'm like, especially after the last four years, like the the nicest person or the most fluffy or approachable person. I'm very guarded now, but if I can make anyone understand how, how we need to, to become aware of this absolute evil and how unnecessary it is and how it's all based in, in patriarchal mm-hmm. sexism. It's really weird what it all comes down to because sex work is not mm-hmm. going anywhere. So why do we hate it so badly? So this might seem a little out of order. I ask this at the end of every episode and I'm going to ask you, uh, I ask every guest, do you have any sex tips for our audience? Usually we talk about sex. This was very much a discrimination episode. Oh, God. I know, right? Sex. Oh, yeah, sex. What is that? <laughs> I'm so boring now. I don't even know. Um, oh, oh, wow. like if you, um, what? a lot of people don't know this. If you have like cotton mouth or just dry mouth and you really need spit, if you just gag a little bit, like if you make yourself gag on whatever objects in your mouth a little bit, <laughs> your spit lines will just go into hyperdrive. So if you're not sure where to get spit, just just choke a little bit. <laughs> yes, you're so right. You're so right. And that's, I actually, that's funny because that's something I know because I've been sucking dick for like 20 years. And like, I actually have a, I know, um, 21 to be precise. Um, I, I have like a, like in terms of like spit play for me, it's like a hard limit. Like I tell partners, I'm like nothing in my butt without me asking. And then I'm please don't spit on me. But if I'm sucking a D, I know to do that. <laughs> you're so right. That's such a pro tip. Well, if you're, yeah, if you're you. sucking dick, you want it to be as sloppy as possible. It's really what, <laughs> it's really such a, like a, an animalistic experience when you go that path. And it, it I've never had any complaints. So I mean, <laughs> um, you can always make spit happen and it's a sexy thing when you do. So just get slobbery. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. That is a great way to end. Nikki, thank you so much for coming on. Folks can reach out to her uh, for support uh, or reach out to her with support uh, <laughs> at <way>. Nicole <laughs> G underscore eight zero one. Um, find me on Twitter. I'm at L Stanger, my website, lstanger.com. Uh, subscribers, I post stuff I can't post on Instagram or other social media. Boobs and Bush uh, on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. Nikki, thank you so much. Thanks, Al. Until next time. A lot of you have asked me where I went to school or got training to be a sex educator. The answer is ICE, Institute for Sex Education and Enlightenment. If you do not need to be ASECT certified, then try their new program called SWEET, Sexual Wellness Education and Enlightenment Training. It's about half the price of their regular program, and it's for people who don't need to be licensed by ASECT, but have the interest or want to add fullness to their personal or professional lives or careers. You can do it at your own pace because it's all on demand. You can do it from anywhere in the world. If you have weird hours like me, then maybe you want to do class at 3 a.m., You can even take one learning path at a time to make it more manageable financially. 
So go to instituteforsexuality.com and click on their on-demand programs where you can check out their other classes too.